Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And so today we've been in a series called Overcomers. The thesis, if you missed the last three weeks, you can check out our podcast. But essentially we've been talking about that Revelations, the very last book of the Bible, it deals with the idea that Christianity at the end of times, which we don't know if we're at the end days yet, but we are definitely one day closer than we were yesterday. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we're definitely closer than the people that wrote the book of Revelations were. And so if we are getting closer to the end, what we know is this, is Jesus promised to come back for a glorious bride talks about in Ephesians, a, a bride, a church that was without spot, that's without wrinkles. Come on, that's got some Botox. Can I get an amen? Orange County, I see you. And so we know that God is not coming back for weak believers that are retreating from society, that are hiding in caves, reading the Left Behind series. Come on. In the fetal position, sucking their thumbs. We actually believe that God is coming back for a church that's more glorious than the one that he left. We believe that he's coming back for believers that are full of his spirit, that are walking in signs and wonders and ambassadors uh, of his kingdom here on the earth. You know, a kingdom is described as a place that the king's will is carried out. And I do believe that one of our jobs while we're on the earth is to actually represent God's desires in our life and to bring his will into the areas of our sphere. And so today, again, we've been in a series called Overcomers. And this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject title. My, my message this morning is I want to talk today about the secrets to change. The secrets, the secrets, the biblical, I should say, secrets to change. Can I get an amen? How many think there's some change that probably needs to happen in our broken world? 14 people believe it. God bless those 14 people. 14 honest people in this church. Now, we, uh, we know there's some change that's required, that's needed. We know that we're living in an hour. There's so much division. It's almost like I had this picture this week of almost like a desert that got a flash flood, uh, almost like a landscape that's not used to lots of water. And all of a sudden, areas that are usually dry are now at floodplain levels. And it's actually causing, it's good though in some ways because it's actually going to cleanse out some things that need to be flushed out. But there are other things that it's causing people to drown in. And the picture I had is uh, I went to a friend's house this week and um, his road was closed because they just repaid the asphalt. And it's interesting, he lived at the very end of the street, so luckily it was only about a six-mile walk to his house. <laughs> Kidding. But he, uh, we had the park at the end of his street, and um, I remember walking down, and it, and it was, you know, it had it roped off and coned off, and they do that because when the asphalt is fresh, it's still soft and impressionable, and they do it because you can leave an impression in what's soft that will last forever, and I really feel like we're living in an, an hour right now that so much of our society and so much of the world is, it's, this is all fresh. A lot of, a lot of what's happening in the world is so, so tense. Uh, I heard one comedian say, uh, he goes to family gatherings and says, hey, are we going to have a good time or are we going to talk about politics? Um, but we live in an, a climate right now that's so soft that if we don't, I, I think there's some things we got to be careful what we put weight on right now. I think that we could do more damage in some ways reacting to certain things than letting certain things dry. Come on. Because here's what we can agree on. I think we all agree that there's some change that needs to happen in the world. How many want to get to the right house? But here's the good news. There's more than one street that leads to that house. And so I, I really do believe in the world. We're all trying to say the same thing. I just think that the, real, the difference is we're all trying to get to that house by taking different streets. And so I want to talk to you today about the secrets, the secrets to, uh, in this context, biblical change. Biblical change. I want to say hi to my friend Annie is here this morning from Michigan. And a great friend of our house. So good to have a crew. A couple of you from Michigan? Just two? Three? Three of you. God bless you guys. Welcome, welcome. So good to have you with us. Sit next to our Michigan people next to you, and then Texas people next to them. Are you Michigan, or where are you from originally? Are you, where are you, three at the end, where are you guys from? See, no one from California here. But uh, it's good to have everybody here. Oceans is a community for people that don't live here. Um, hey, we're going to go to Acts chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read uh, 14 verses out of Acts chapter 8. If you're new to our church, uh, I always read the Bible, and then after I read those 14 verses, I'm going to pray. I usually try to lift up the Lakers in some way. Um, they need all the, come on, they need all the help they can get right now. And, uh, and after I pray, I try to tell some stories. If people laugh, we call them jokes. If they don't laugh, we call it a bad crowd. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
and uh, we try to have a good time. I do believe that it's okay to enjoy church. Contrary to maybe what you grew up believing, you thought maybe if sleeping during the service made you more spiritual, not true. We don't believe we're doing God favors by enduring church. We actually believe that God wants us to enjoy his house. Any parents in here hoping that you raise kids that one day would endure coming home? I hope my kids endure coming back sometimes. I want my kids to love coming home. I want to be the cool parent. Anybody? That all the neighborhood comes to my house? I'm believing for a nice swimming pool. Can I get an amen? All right, better get on track here. So Acts chapter 9. We're going to have a good time. Starting in verse 26, we're reading about a guy named Philip. And again, I want to just uh, paint a picture here. Obviously, in the light of all that's happening in the world, I love, I've been studying and meditating on uh, kind of racially charged passages of the Bible. I've been looking at how the gospel affected, how it actually brought healing, change, and reconciliation in the ancient world, which just FYI, for those of you that hadn't studied church history and maybe looked at the world of antiquity, uh, the world was far more divided then than it is now. I just want to go on the record to say that. The Bible was far more, these times were far more broken than the current landscape that we are living in. So it's interesting that if these solutions could actually help that world, then there's a lot of hope for us here today. And so if, uh, Acts chapter uh, 8, I'm going to read 14 verses, beginning in verse, uh, verse 26. It's actually about a Jewish evangelist, and it's about an African eunuch who actually was basically the, the, the treasury of the nation of Ethiopia. Uh, and he was African, obviously. And we're going to read this passage, and again, just stay with me. Everything I'm going to teach on today is connected to these 16 uh, verses. We're going to have a good time. Is that okay? If you get bored today, I just want to inform you that you're boring. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, but seriously, though, um, uh, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go. Say it with me. Arise and go towards the south along the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this, this is a desert. Say it with me, desert. How many know that desert sounds like dessert, but it's not nearly as good? He's in, he go to a desert, and he, he heads to this desert. So he arose, and he went. He listened, verse, verse 27. He went, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all of her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He came there to what? So we have an Ethiopian that traveled 200 miles so that he could worship. Interesting. Okay. And returning, after he worshiped, he sat in his chariot. He began to read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit of God spoke to Philip. He said, go near now and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. He heard him reading uh, the prophet Isaiah and said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he goes, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he, and he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. The place of the scripture which he was reading was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before his shears is silent so he opened not his mouth and he in his humiliation he was uh, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth that's Isaiah 53 so the eunuch answered Philip and said um can I ask you something is he talking about himself this prophet or is he asking about somebody else Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture beginning at this scripture I love this God's good news always meets us where we are at he started with what this guy was thinking about reading. He started there and he preached Jesus to him. He didn't preach Anderson Cooper. Come on. It wasn't Tucker Carlson. Come on, somebody. It was actually he preached. Come on with me. Come on. Help me out. Jesus. And he preached Jesus to them that, that, that day. And now as they went on the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch answered and said, there's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, let's do it. And he answered and said, I believe. Look at this little tiny statement, but look at the ramifications that we'll try to unpack here in a moment. His answer was one sentence, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all he said. And Philip's like, good, and let's do it. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water. He baptized him. They came out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord took, caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way, watch this, rejoicing. Say with me, rejoicing. I believe that if you really hear an accurate depiction of the good news of Jesus, you will always leave. So if you've ever left a church discouraged, I would encourage you that you did not hear the good news. You heard a gospel, but it wasn't, come on, God's gospel. Good news always leaves people rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he came and preached to the other cities and came to Caesarea. So let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you today about the secrets to biblical change. 
God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be at Rochelle and I's favorite church in the whole world. We want to say a big thank you for what you've done all over, uh, all over Orange County the last 92 Sundays. Uh, thank you for the last couple of years of living here, meeting some of the kindest, some of the nicest, and uh, Lord, some of the best and some of the worst drivers we've ever seen. We want to say today that you, we, we would love it if you would meet with us. We would love it if you would speak to us. And we would love it if you would fill this room with your tangible presence. Would you please lead us, guide us, and love on us today? Meet us where we are. And God, we pray you bless the Lakers in Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. Come on, everyone said amen. People always get mad about that. It's all right. I, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been there before. You ever experienced things that just uh, created a friction, a frustration that you just knew inevitably something needs to change at some point? Who's ever been on a road trip and you've met someone that doesn't know what cruise control is? No? Maybe this is for somebody in the room. <laughs> Let me come after you for a moment. We drove to Phoenix a couple weeks ago, and uh, I thought it was so amazing that you could be on a four-hour stretch of concrete, and people don't realize that if they don't set the cruise control, they will pass you only to be passed. They will pass you only to be passed. One other word of the wise. Can we, can we talk about it today? If you're going to go slow... Come on, be slow in the slow lane. All the believers said amen. I have no idea. It's like, hey, I want to break the, the speed record for being so slow. I'm not even going to do the speed limit. Let's do it in the fast lane. Like something's got to change. This is not healthy. It's not normal. This is just, it's irritating. I just, you experience certain things in life and you just know right away something's just not healthy. It's not right. Some say that you don't really know who you are and what's on the inside of you until you connect to slow Wi-Fi. <laughs> slow Wi-Fi has a way of revealing the hidden agendas of the heart. If there is evil, darkness, rage in your heart, it will be exposed. Come on, with slow internet. I, I, I grew up, man, just kind of realizing all these things, but, you know, growing up with three girls, I am always feel like I'm, uh, or, excuse me, we have two daughters, and I live with my wife. There's three women in our house. We have an estrogen farm. Come on. I got almost a teenage little girl. I got a five-year-old little girl. And uh, I'm just like all the time, it's like in our home, we're just walking people off the ledge, trying to keep the peace. I came home one day the other day, and it was like, one of the girls was like, man, you know, the girls went upstairs, and they slammed the door on me, and they, they called me a stupid head, and they said I couldn't be in the club. And I was like, and I started crying downstairs, and I was like, Rochelle. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was just a joke. Just making sure you're paying attention. Um, you ever experience tension, though, friction? That you're just like, man, something has to change. This isn't healthy. I, I was thinking about, you know, throughout the Bible, you see all these landscapes. Like, man, things are not going the way that you want them to go. You don't, not, it, it feels like the ship is not heading to the destination that we all desire. And I was thinking, man, what do you do? You know, we live in Orange County. We're, we all have our own spheres, our own families, our vocations, our, 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 our neighbors. What do you do? Like, can, can you really make a difference in the world and the nations when you're just living in the suburbs and neighborhoods? And I started kind of asking some of these questions. What did the early followers of Jesus do to bring about healthy change in the world? And I started looking at this, and I really do believe a couple things just kind of jump out of the gate here uh, that stood out to me about people that changed the world, people that changed their cities, people that changed the, the, the places and the spaces that God put them in, is there was a correlation is all of the early followers of Jesus, they were really focused on three things. The first thing that people focused on to bring healthy change, these are not my notes, these are just free, are you ready? Is they focused on people. They focus on people. The, the, the one mandate about all of the Great Commission is it says to go out into all the world and preach this message to all nations, all people. Yeah. I believe that life is not significant. The significance of life realizes uh, that I have to leverage all that I have to actually reach, love, and help, come on, people. The second thing that we know is not only is God about people, he's about places. Well, reading the story here, you have... You have this, uh, this, this evangelist named Philip, and uh, again, we'll kind of jump in this in just a moment, but I love it that he has to go to the right place to have the right encounter, and this encounter actually would change an entire, and this is what I'm trying to unpack today, is an entire continent was changed because of two people we just read about, an entire continent. And so what led to the change of the African continent? It started in Acts chapter 8. People say that this eunuch was likely the first believer, full convert to Christianity, 
in the nation of Africa, in the continent of Africa, that this Ethiopian actually would go on the record to what now today is, you know, predominantly uh, the continent of Africa. I mean, I guess the northern part is still a little bit more diverse, but the, the southern and middle part of Africa is predominantly Christian. So how do you change a continent? Well, I think the, the myth in the era that we live in today is it's only big things that lead to big changes. I would like to, if I could, demystify the myth that you have to be big, do big, uh, act big to create big results. I actually believe the world has changed through sometimes the smallest things. How many believe that? I don't know about you, but Jesus talks about a kingdom that's like a, like a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast that's in the leaven, the leaven that's in the, le- in the yeast, that a little bit of it can change the entire lump. It's the kingdom of God. It's kind of like a mustard seed. It's really small and insignificant, and people make fun of it. But when it grows up, it's something to be, it's something to be acknowledged. The kingdom always starts small. I, I read one, one scholar said this. He said, small acts of kindness uh, done through the power of God's spirit have dis." disproportionate effects for the kingdom of God. Why is small so big? Good question. Small does not cost a lot. Small is easy to produce. Small is more easily changed and exchanged. Small is mobile. Small is not only mobile, it is simple. Small infiltrates easier. It's something people think they can do. Big doesn't do any of these things. We change the world faster and faster by stewarding the small things that God's given us in a big way. I actually believe that some of the biggest things you do in your life are connected to, to stewarding the small times of your life. Jesus was like an iceberg. We only see about 10 years of his life, or, or excuse me, 10% of his life. He's 33 years old. We start reading about him at 30 years of age. He has four cameos before 30 years of age. But what we do know is who he was at 30 was a direct, uh, d- direct connection to what he experienced, the, 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 the test that he passed, the temptation he overcame during those 90% of the years that we do not know about. Icebergs, what are they? They are 10% above, 90% beneath. Why are icebergs unshakable? It's not because of what you see. It's because of what you Are you following me? Jesus had an unshakable message. He had an unshakable ministry, not because of what we see, what's visible for three and a half years, but likely because of who he became during the first 90%. Are you with me? And so I love this story because it has a guy who's, again, a very powerful man, probably one of the most well-educated men of his nation. And uh, the story reads, and I just have six points for you today, six secrets to biblical change. Some of them are going to be pretty simple and uh, like, kind of like money. It's easy to understand. It's hard to live out. Can I get an amen? <sighs> Save more than you spend. Check. That one's tough sometimes, right? And so what I want to share, a lot of this isn't rocket science, but I do believe it's easy to understand, but it's harder to live out. Six changes to, 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 to being a catalyst to change is the first thing we see about Philip is he was praying. There was a divine conversation, a divine conversation. So it starts in verse 26. Are you still with me? Talking fast, I have a long ways to go. Is verse 26, it says that an angel appeared to Philip, and he said, hey, I want you to go down, and I want you to wait at a desert. Now, I want to just point out this this idea, again, a small detail, is he asked him to do something that's relatively insignificant. I think many times in our, in our generation, we want to look for the great opportunities, the glamorous opportunities. I heard the great philosopher Dolly Parton. She said this, not everything that shines is gold. Come on. <laughs> and I want you to know that many people, they're chasing these, uh, these mirages that it has to look a certain way or be a certain way to make a big difference. I love this because he was praying. He got this divine, uh, divine instructions from an angel. Now, maybe an angel won't speak to you or speak to me, but what we do know is God still speaks. And I love this because he tells them where he's supposed to be positioned. Again, all of, all of mission in life is re- related to people, places, and positions. God will put you with people. He'll, he'll give you a place, and he'll always give you an opportunity, a position to make a difference. So watch what happens here. Number one is he's praying. I love the story because notice this, that the angel probably could have went directly to the eunuch. But what we know is, is that God never reserved the greatest message on the earth to angels. That angels couldn't go directly to the eunuch because God reserved the greatest news on the earth to only be delivered through humanity. 
Angels don't know what it's like to have their souls redeemed, saved, and bought back. Are you hearing me? So the angel comes to, to him and says, look, I, I, I'm not going to do it, but I can tell you where to go. So he goes to this desert. He begins to pray. And I really felt like this is a word for the day that we're in today. God gave me this phrase that was so powerful, is that we have to talk to God more about our neighbors than before we start talking to our neighbors about God. That's what prayer does. Prayer is actually bringing the people that matter to you into God's presence and loving on them when they're not around in front of God. I actually think most of the time we do the opposite. We try to talk much for God, but very little to God. I think today in the, in the church, I mean, so many pastors, they think they're representing God in front of the people. I'm the man of God. I'm the woman of God. I got to get a word ready. It's like, dude, you don't get a word ready. God's word gets you ready. Stop thinking a little too highly of yourself. You read the word of God, it gets you ready, and you don't represent God to the people. What you do as a pastor is you're supposed to pray the six days during the week, lifting up the burdens of the people. Your job is to represent the people before God. And what I've learned is if pastors will lift up the burdens of their people before God, God will give them heavenly solutions in those environments. That's what prayer does. Prayer is going to God, talking about your neighbor, saying, God, they're broken. God, they're hurting. They're wounded. They're angry. They're sad. Are you hearing me? And what I've learned is if you want authority publicly, there's something about going to God privately. The era that we live in, though, we, we put too much emphasis on talking to people about problems that only God can solve. I'll say it again for the back. Is that all right? You know what gossip is? Gossip is talking to people about things only God can fix. And what prayer is, is bring a burden. Say it with me, burden. Many times we see things that burden us. And I believe that if you actually just see the burden and you continue to carry the burden, God never designed you for that. Yeah. Our job is to be aware of problems so that we can bring them to God in prayer. Yeah. Prayer, again, I'll say it again, is actually going to God and talking to God about the, what's going on with your neighbors. And when you talk to God about your neighbors, God will give you solutions to bring back to those people. Yeah. So we find this is that Philip, six, six keys to changing the continent. Number one, it started with prayer. And I know it's not popular right now because many people are upset and they go, we got to do more than pray. I agree, we do. But I also want to just push back a little bit and say, don't you ever underestimate what prayer does. And I want to just go on the record to say that don't ever think that, that hanging out with other people for a cause is some way more important than standing before God by yourself. There is something that happens in the presence of God that nothing else on the earth does. It's okay. I'll take a 50% hand clap. That's all right. I do believe that God can change things in prayer. And I think the reason why we don't pray is because we don't really believe that. Ian Bounds said it this way, when I fail to pray, coincidences cease to exist. You ever notice how you start praying? Man, I need a best friend. And all of a sudden you prayed, and that week you meet somebody new. Man, I just need someone to date. Man, I, need, I want to get married. I'm tired of being sick. I start praying. Come on, Jaden, you better settle down in the front row. And all of a sudden, God starts providing. And what I've learned is, is that literally you have to begin to pray. Catalytic moments always have the same origins in the presence of God. So he prays, and some of you are like, Mark, of course, duh, I've been doing that. How about number two, though? He went from praying, next thing that created change in his world, is he went from praying to number two, it's old-fashioned, forgive me. I'll come back to all you new, new school people in a second. But listen, he obeyed. He went from praying to obeying. And I honestly think we're like, well, of course, dude, duh. But I think really the problem is today we have people that are way more biblically literate than they are uh, proactive in living out what they know. Bible maturity, I want to gauge this. Being a mature believer is not gauged on how many scriptures you have memorized. It's not how many philosophical or theological books you have logged into your archives of your photographic memory. Spiritual maturity is actually gauged by how much of the Bible you know that you're actually living out. That's maturity. Maturity is when you go, hey, God, I just read this today. It needs to change. By the way, I'll just, I said this last week, but many of you weren't here last week, so I'll say it again. If you haven't disagreed with God lately, it could be because you're sitting in his seat. And that's the problem is most of us were like, well, I, you know, God, I, I don't like that. You know, that, well, God, you need to change this. You need to fix that. You need to fix that person over there. One of the worst things, you know, you're arrogant is when you sit through a church service and you're like, man, Joey should have been here today. <laughs> this is so good for him. I mean, me, I mean, I didn't really get anything out of it. You know, I eat richer meat and spiritual food. 
Uh, but man, Joey could have really been blessed. That was some good milk for those spiritual babes. I want you to know, don't ever listen to a message for somebody else. I love the idea that he says, all right, um, how can I? It says immediately, verse 26, the angel said, go. And right away it says, he arose and he went. Don't you wish your kids would read that verse? I, I'm, look, I want to be honest. I'm a pastor. I got to be honest. I said the same things that my daughter says, but I had a difference. There was a difference. When I grew up, my mom would say, Mark, go take the trash out. I would say, I'll do it. Later. You had the same mom? <laughs> no, I said, I'll do it later, right? But I had a valid excuse. I couldn't just pause reality. Yeah. I couldn't pause the TV. I couldn't pause, come on, the tablet. My daughter's like, I'll do it later. I'm like, why? My kids, listen, you youngsters, let me educate you for a second. There was an era of time that you will never taste when you got a 90-second a, a adrenaline rush when you were watching your favorite show and it went to commercial and you knew, I got to use the restroom, I need to get some water, and I need to throw some popcorn in the microwave. There was like an Olympic spirit that came over you. Are you hearing me? You young people are like, oh, I... I can I go to sleep after this show? It's like, why? You can wake up in the morning and hit play at the exact same place. You're not finding some old VHS to record over. Hello, church. Young people, man, I need to educate you. I'll do it later. I want you to know that one of the greatest things that we do in prayer is we get instructions on what we need to do now. And I think many times we push off. I actually think that procrastination is one of the fruits of, of, of the satanic kingdom. Is I'm just going to be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do that later. I'll love my neighbor. I'll get involved in church. I'll, I'll believe in God. When I was younger, I remember thinking, I want to live as wild as I want to live. But I, I knew God was probably real. So I was like, God, hey, I'll come around. But just give me like four decades of living crazy. <laughs> On my deathbed, you know, and I'm wrinkled up. And I'm like, you know, like ready to go. I'll give my life to you. But I, I, I want to just, if I could, maybe some of you are in the room today or you're watching online, you're like, that's kind of how I feel. I, I think God is real, but I like to wait until I've lived the way I wanted to live, and then I'll get right with God. Let me say two things to you. Number one, there's no guaranteed future. Can I get an amen from someone that's lived long enough to go, man, I've seen people die in a moment. So number one, there's no guaranteed future. But number two, I'd say this, is God is worth giving the best years of your life to. I want to know him, walk with him, and love him in the best years of my life. Come on, while I still have some hair on my head, while I still have some strength in my arms, I, I want to give God the best years of my life. So we know that, that he does six things. There's two things that, that, that Philip did is he prayed and he obeyed. I feel like some of you, yeah, you have been praying, but there's some things that God's asked you to do that you haven't done yet. And what I've learned about God is he's kind of like your, uh, like your, like your uh, navigation on your phone is he doesn't give you the next instructions until you obey the last one. And that's exactly what God did in the, ch in the children of Israel. 40 years of wandering for a 12-day trip. Why? Because they refused to listen. And I think there's something about not only hearing. I can hear God's voice. That's awesome, man. If hearing God made you mature, um, we have a lot of mature people. The problem is that we have, a, we have a generation that's good at hearing but not good at actually following through. I want you to love your neighbor. Not just love the way you want to love. I mentioned this last week. It was pretty scandalous. I'm sorry for saying it, but I want to be honest that God doesn't just weep for those that are victims. He actually also weeps for those that have evil hearts that do awful things. That they're both God's kids. But we want America. We want a world that we see, man, this is right, that's wrong, only through the lens of being an American. And I would encourage you to always let your theology inform your policies of politics. You do it backwards, things get... 5% hand clap. I love it. I'm kicking some sacred cows in here today. Is Philip prays, there's praying, there's obeying. And what we find here is that there's change in a nation because there's another guy who is maybe a little bit religious. We know that he's probably not, we know he's not genuinely a convert yet because Peter was the first one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But in the ancient world, there was two types of people. There was people that were proselytes, which would actually, if you were a, a, another nationality but you believed in Yahweh you would become uh, you would join the Judaism movement but you would do it through circumcision 
and then by adopting all of their, all of their laws and all of their religious uh, uh, customs. But if you didn't want to go that far, they called them God-fearers. God-fearers were other, other nations that believed in Jehovah, but they wouldn't, want to get, they wouldn't want to get circumcised. I don't blame them. Come on. And, uh, whoa. Uh, but, but they feared God still. We know that this guy was willing to travel 200 miles because probably like many people, even in Orange County, they had a belief in God. They knew that God was probably there. They had a desire to worship him. But they, and they even read the Bible, but they did not understand and know who God really was. That's this eunuch. And we find here that the change that happened in the continent happened because one guy prayed and obeyed. And we had it because one guy was spiritually hungry enough to actually try worshiping God. You can write it down, worshiping. And like, of course, worshiping. Yeah, of course, worshiping. And he went beyond just worshiping. He began, he began reading. And I believe that we have a generation that loves, some people love to sing songs to God. It's funny, you have two camps. You have some people who want to go to church and just sing for three hours. I'm a worshiper. Yes, you are. If you own a banner, you are a worshiper. You got a shofar next to your bed. You are a worshiper. I get it. But we have worshipers. But then we have other people that are the opposite. They're like, oh, I usually come late to church because I want to get to the good part. I want to get to the message. I love church because there's something for us and there's something for God. Worship is what belongs to God. The word is what matures and what feeds and nourishes us. And so, listen, it's both and. It's not one or the other. I like worshiping churches, but I don't like, like preaching very much. I just want to worship for six hours and and twirl. <laughs> You're a worshiper. But I love this, that, listen, I actually believe this theologically. You'll get your greatest revelation in the word of God if you'll worship him first. Yes. Look at the uh, systematic uh, process here that he actually went chronologically from worshiping in Jerusalem. And right after he finished worshiping, he hopped in his chariot and he opened up the, the word, the, the scriptures. He, Isaiah 53, he begins to read. And students would always read out loud. That was one of the main things that they taught them to do back then, is students would always read the Bible out loud. So Philip walks next to the chariot. He hears him reading Isaiah 53. And here's what I know. He, he was worshiping, and he was reading. I promise you that things will never change in a nation until the people of God make a clear decision that we are going to be a worshiping people and a biblically literate people. And you know I'm preaching to the right crowd because there's 5% of the room clapping right now again. I love it. We are a generation that we're just led by our feelings. I, I just, I don't know. I didn't feel like worshiping. I just didn't feel like reading the Bible today or the last couple years. I just didn't feel. But, but I feel like I know when God speaks to me, though. I, like, I feel it. It says that, you know, it says that um, we walk by feelings, not by sight. We're not supposed to walk the good walk of feelings. And the problem today is, is that our whole younger generation, we're biblically illiterate. We don't read anymore. We just Netflix. Come on, we binge watch. I'm going to sleep after this next season. Um, and we, 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 we're entertained to death. And I believe that many of the dreams that God has given to his children are dying in the soil of entertainment and sports. Because all we want to do is be entertained to death. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not against entertainment, man. I'm, I be, I'm, we have actors in our church. We have people in Hollywood and athletes in our community. I'm not against any of that. But I want to let you know that if you're too busy to honor God in worship and open up the word of God and say, God, speak to me, you're too busy. Yes. Joshua chapter 1 says that if you meditate on this book day and night, that you'll know good success. Yes. So let's translate. If you're too busy for the word of God, you're too busy to be successful. True success, and most, most people today, I heard one guy, scholar, talking about this, is they call it the, uh, what was it? It was a powerful phrase, uh, success through neglect. Most of the world we live in today is successful in one area at the expense of another. And that's why people create enterprises and they create these empires, but their children are crazy, their marriage is broken, their life is falling apart because they've given everything, their very best to building their business, but they've neglected everything else. And there's some people that give everything to their families, but they neglect their business. Are you with me today? And what the Bible teaches us, if we'll make time, carve out time to esteem God, there's something about worshiping God that unlocks potential in you. And actually reveals discovery about what life is about. Worship, my, my, my father-in-law used to always say this, that worship is what tunes your soul. 
You ever heard a piano out of tune? You'd have the greatest piano player, but if the piano is not tuned, it'll never sound like it's supposed to sound like. And I believe we have some of the most gifted people that have ever walked the earth, some of the most technologically savvy, some of the greatest thinkers and creators and innovators. But the problem is we're not changing the world like we could because we're not, we're failing in one area. We're neglecting to worship and to read. So, so Philip prays and he obeys and then, and then the eunuch is worshiping and reading. And then it went to the, the, the last two progressions, and I, I do believe, I'd say most of the church is pretty good about praying and obeying and even worshiping and reading, but it's the last two that really give this message some traction. I believe that what changes nations and changes societies is when we go past just praying, just obeying, just worshiping, which is awesome, and reading, which we're going to do all those perpetually, but we actually go to the fifth thing, which is sharing. Now, it's going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church just for a minute. Um, because I know we're like, no, no, that's like pastor's jobs. Like, we pay you. Like, you go talk to people. That's your thing. But I want you to know that the Bible I read, I mean, there's a traditional church that, yeah, the pastor does everything. He's like a small-town leader that's like the principal and the mailman and the veterinarian. and the like. <laughs> but, but that's not, there's small churches that function like that. Yeah, the pastor, like, he's pastoring, talking, doing everything, like, praying for everybody, doing everything. And I, I do believe that there's things that we're supposed to do. But if you read the Bible, there's two churches in, in the world today. There's the traditional church that the pastor is doing all of the evangelization of the city. And then there's the biblical church. And the biblical church is the one that actually equips the people that show up for the work of the ministry. Yeah. 10% of the people clap. This is the right message today, Lord. It's either really the right message or really the wrong message. I love this, that uh, they were sharing. Philip got up and he began to share with him. And I'll be honest, I think that the problem today in the world, I think everyone wants to do something, we just don't know what to do. How do I take action? That's what Rashawn and I have been praying about lately a lot. Um, and I think we're still going to try to answer that question and we'll, we'll have things that we're going to do. But I would say this, I think most of the confusion in the world today is we fail to realize the power of the good news. I think most people say, I'm saved. Okay, saved from what? Christians? I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm, it's like, what do you say from? We, we, we use these church colloquialisms, and we, we, we speak the language of Zion and the Queen's English. Are you following me? We, we know how to father God in prayer. Come on. Father God, I just thank you that Father God, Father God, you're just Father God, you're so Father. Just like, we, we, we're fully Christian, but we're like, I'm saved. Like, what do you say from? Most people do not know how to uh, lay out what the good news is. Let me lay it out for you so next time someone asks you, what do you say from, dude? Let me tell you this. Number one, I think that he told the eunuch, listen, this Bible verse is about the sub, sub, substitutionary uh, death of Jesus. Throughout the Bible, Martin Luther said it this way, it was the blood of, it was the blood of, uh, the lifeblood of, of, of a living organism that, that created life to the masses. And so we find here, watch this, in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to happen? They, God killed animals to cover them. Right? And then on the Mount, Mount Moriah, uh, God's up there. Uh, Abraham's up there with his son Isaac, getting ready to kill his only son. God provides Jehovah Jireh, a lamb that was sacrificed for his son. We see that Moses, right, during the Passover, ten plagues. Uh, ten plagues go on. Uh, the Passover was the killing of lambs, the blood covering the doorpost, so that the blood would protect those that are in the house. All foreshadowing what Jesus would do. So here's, here's the gospel in four simple points. Number one, the good news of Jesus, Mr. Eunuch, sir, is about the fact that Jesus came to actually, to, to actually deal with sin. Deal with sin. Deal with sin. Uh, listen, where it gets powerful is most of us, I don't want to spend the whole service today talking about sin because I'm pretty sure most of us know what it is. It is the part of you that's not like God that's naturally not like God. That's sin. It's your proclivity to drift away and to do the wrong things. Sin is when you hate doing it, but you can't stop doing it. Sin is when you know it's wrong. The first time you did it, you felt awful. The second time, you felt kind of bad. The third time, you're like, ah. Fifth time, you're like, ah, not a big deal. Sixth time, you're justifying why it's okay. Sin. Sin is, uh, I want you to know that, that lust, greed, perversion, immorality, uh, we're on the list, right? Can't murder, all of that sin. But I want you, guess what falls into that big category of sin? Racism. It falls into that category. 
Racism is a, not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. It's a problem in humanity when people, they have, they have propensities towards this non-God view of seeing humanity. So Jesus came, Mr. Eunuch, sir, Jesus came. He died on the grave, uh, di died, died on the grave. <sighs> came out of it though, Push the stone aside. He died on the cross, came out of the grave. And when he did, he, uh, he actually, he purchased all of our sins. That the reason why he was treated the way he was treated was that God knew that he had to treat his son the way that we deserve to be treated so that God could treat us the way that he wanted to treat his son. That is the message of the gospel, is that Jesus was perfect because if he wasn't perfect, he couldn't pay for our mistakes. He'd be paying for his own. Sin was dealt with, Mr. Eunuch. That's what you were reading in Isaiah 53. And not only does the, the gospel deal with sin, it deals with Satan. There is a real devil. No, are you, are you, you guys want to, you believe the real devil? The boogeyman? There are some people that are so smart that they become idiots. I want you to know there is, listen, let me just, if you don't believe in God, let me just, a couple, couple basic things. How many think there's evil in the world? Let me say it another way. How many there's things that are happening in the world that are wrong? Hurting a child is, it's wrong. So let me just, let me state the obvious. But if there is such thing as wrong, you're also admitting there's something called right. Because you can't have wrong without acknowledging there's something right. And if we were just cosmic accidents and cosmic blobs, and we were just a couple of some gases and particles that came together coincidentally, and we formed humanity, we evolved out of, out of creation, why in the world throughout history have human beings always value, valued courage, always valued integrity, and have always looked down on murder, has always looked down on things that were evil? It is because there was someone that programmed us. And there is, listen, if there is a real God, there is also a real devil. Good news is we're not scared of him. I want to remind you there's that tens of thousands of angels and in Revelations it says only one angel was required to throw him into the lake of fire. He's not nearly as big as the world gives him credit for being. But Jesus on the cross, he actually dealt with the devil. Yeah, pretty amazing. The good news, Mr. Eunuch, isn't just that sin's been dealt with. It's not that just the devil's been dealt with. Guess what? Death has been dealt with. Last time I checked, mortality rate hovers right around 100%. Tough crowd. We all die. I know it's not very encouraging, but I want to remind you that Jesus died to deal with death. Mr. Eunuch, you will die, I will die, but here's the good news. You do not have to die a second time. That we can actually close our eyes in one life and open them up in another life where there is no end. And not only did he do that, Mr. Eunuch, sir, but actually Jesus died to deal with hell. Because hell is our destination. That's what we deserve. That's what we were born into because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And uh, Mr. Eunuch, sir, I want to let you know that you don't have to go to hell. And Mr. The eunuch's probably like, well, if God was so good, why did he create hell? And uh, Philip was probably like, oh, he actually didn't make hell for human beings. Hell was actually built for the devil and fallen angels. I can give you the verse. Look it up. Is that God never created hell for human beings. And that's why the gospel says that God's desire is that all would be saved. Not some, but all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Saved from what? Sin? Saved from what? Satan? Saved from what? Death? Saved from what? Hell? The good news is this idea that we are fully forgiven, that we are fully redeemed, that we are justified, and here's the church word, sanctified. You'll never forget the word justified. You know what justified means? The good news of Jesus means this, I'm justified. It means just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification means just as if I have never sinned. In the eyes of God, when you say, we start bringing up what you did last week that you, you told God about, God's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just as if I never sinned. Psalms 103 says, as far as, the, are you with me today? As far as the east is from the west. If God would have said, as far as the north is from the south, we would have been in trouble. Because if you go north long enough on the globe, you will eventually be going south. But the beauty of Scripture is it's so transcendent that the wisdom of God, in Psalms 103, David writes, as far as the east is from the west. If you go east today and keep going east, you can go east forever. East never collides with west. If you go west today, you go west forever. It never collides with the east. 
But if you go north on a globe, you'll eventually be going south. God says you're forgiven. And by the way, let me remind the world, uh, because again, we, we're Americans, not Christians sometimes. Uh, we want grace. This is what I'm, as I watch the media today, we want unconditional love and grace for us that's free and undeserved. But we want human beings to pay. You sin, you better pay in full. So we somehow forget the love that God gave us. And we want to start enforcing law to the world, but grace to us. Another message. I, uh, I love this that he shares, shares, and I'm done with this thought. Is Jesus said that the power of God, is, you know, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, it's much like Los Angeles today, pretty, pretty messed up place. And he says, uh, you know, the message of Jesus is the foolishness, it's foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved by it, it's the very power of God. I want you to know you might be praying, you might be obeying, you might be worshiping, you might be praying, uh, you might even be pre- reading, but there's something about sharing what God has done in your life. I'd encourage you, uh, you know, if no one knows you're a Christian, you might not be one. That was harsh. Uh, there's something about knowing God that puts something inside you that want to share about it. The beautiful thing is you don't have to have a seminary degree or sem- you, haven't, you don't have to go to cemetery or, or seminary. Um, to actually preach the good news. You can just say, hey, I just know I was messed up. Blind beggar that got healed, he, he's like, hey, look, I don't know if who you're arguing about. I don't know. I don't know all you guys know. All I know is I was blind. So, and what I've learned is the smartest people in the world cannot argue with your experience. You can argue semantics. You can argue all kinds of things. No one can argue with the genuine thing that God's done in your life. Well, Mark, you're just like, you're just like, wired to be religious. I am. Not, I was one of the most dysfunctional high school kids you've ever met. I was bent towards all the wrong things. I did not wake up one day and go, man, I'm going to be good. I had an encounter with the good God and the Holy Spirit began to change me from the out, the inside of who I was to the outside of who I was. We share. And the last thing we do, and I'm finished, is we act. How do you change? How's the secret to change in the world? Well, I believe it's praying. I believe it's I believe it's obeying. I think it's, I think it's worshiping and, and reading. But I also think it's sharing. And when you go past sharing, usually when you hear something that's gospel-centric, it'll always lead you to action. Can I ask the, the church representative today, because some of you are the nose and some of you are the eyes and some of you are the hands. Here's what happens, though, in the church world. If people don't take action the way that you want to take action, do not allow legalism to come into you. Legalism is trying to treat the other part of the body the way that you, you're supposed to act. Let me illustrate this to you. If you know you're hungry, you're starving, and let's say, all right, I'm going to go into my kitchen, I'm going to get something to eat, and I'm going to eat it and feel better. Your body all is a part of that process, but your feet are responsible for walking you to the fridge, right? Your arms are responsible for opening up the door to the fridge, your eye's job is to look at what's going on in the fridge. Your nose's job is to make sure that thing's not rotten. Come on. Your mind's job is to calculate, is this going to take too long to feed myself? Is, are we going Hot Pockets? Come on. Are we? I'm kidding. I'm, don't judge me. Listen, we're going after the same goal. What's the difference is that every part of my body has a different focus. And the problem right now in the world is we have a divided church because every church is trying to, to actually project on other believers how they think they should be acting. Our job, what, is, what does it say? And I'll, I'll close here. Philip was sitting there, and it says the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, go up and overtake the chariot. Do you know what action looked like for Philip? It looked like overtaking a chariot. That's what it looked like. But you know what's crazy is Andrew's... Andrew's action was to go up to the north of the Black Sea and to proclaim the gospel there. Thomas' action was actually to go into India and to go into uh, Syria and to proclaim the good news there. Philip's assignment was to reach the North African population. Paul would go to the Greek-speaking Mediterranean world. Listen, all of them took action. But don't ever assume that someone else's assignment is yours. And don't ever assume because they're not doing what you're doing, it's less. Because here's the truth. When you push your assignment on somebody else, you turn into legalist. Legalism, listen, I'll even be honest, grace overexposed turns into legalism. Did you know that? 
Because legalism says this, you have to act like this, do this to fit in. If you don't act like me, do like me, be like me, you can't be a part of our club. But what happens is when you go to extreme grace and everyone's cussing and everyone's drinking, everyone's smoking, everyone's doing, doing crazy things and they're partying, and they're like, wait, dude, we're not under that legalism stuff, we're under grace. And what happens is if you don't do what they do, they don't, you don't live at their standard of life, they actually begin to judge you. And grace overexposed turns into a form of legalism. So I, uh, my prayer for our church is, again, I'm just going to land the plane right here. I think all of us, in one, one, one to six of these points, I, if I'm being honest, I'm like, God, I'm going to go all six. Because I'm a glutton. Is that all right? I want all that I can get today in church. But I would ask this question all over them as we close. Can you ask this? To, with you, band, come up here, band, come on up. Can you ask this question, Holy Spirit? Let's say it all over the room to make, make someone not feel weird. Online, say it with me. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? What I've learned is if I'll ask God, he'll speak to me. So we'll close right now. But here's what I want you to quietly stand to your feet. If you're in the building, if you're online right now. God, what are you saying to me? I want to just pray for really three things. First thing is one of these six categories apply to you. How many of you just, we're Americans, we're going to vote real fast. You ready? No fear in this room. You ready? How many say, Mark, I feel like God's challenged me to go higher in prayer? Hands are going up, right? How many, anyone in the room like, Mark, I feel like God's already told me some stuff to do, but I haven't done it yet. There's a girl I need to probably break up with. Hello. These young guys in here. Some stuff I need to get out of my life. Some unhealthy habits that are going on. I, God spoke, I just haven't obeyed yet. Come on, where's my obey? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to do it. All right. Uh, how many, I feel like I've been obeying. I, I feel like I've been, I've been worshiping everything else more than I've been worshiping God. I want to worship Him. Does anybody feel like that? I want to go higher and just honoring Him. Creating an environment. Put on some music. Come on. Lifting up your voice. Anybody say, I want to have an appetite for this book again. I'll, come on. Can we pray that God would just give us a new appetite for this book? You can download it on, on Bible app and listen to it audibly if you don't like to read. How many feel like, I, I, look, I, I love reading, I love worship. I just, be honest, I don't remember the last time I've shared my story, told someone about what God has done in my life. I feel like God has called me for such a time to start sharing my platform, my life with people, places, and positions. I feel like I'm supposed to start sharing more. Did you put your hand up all day? We're just, just being honest. It's all right, no pressure. And then last thing I want to just pray for, we just good to respond, is I feel like I need to take action. But I want to make sure I take the right actions. How many want to say, I want to act, but I want to make sure I take God's actions. Just you put your hands up all over the room? Any of those six areas, go raise your hands. Your hands aren't up right now. We're going to do a seventh area, which is for pride. And uh, cover all of our bases. Hands up. Lord, we just thank you today that we invite you. We thank you that you are the God of the Bible. That you're still, still bringing down the barriers of racism and sexism. And God, you're, 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 you're leveling the playing field politically and we thank you that your kingdom has no end. And so God, today I pray that we go to a new, new dimension of praying, a new dimension of obeying, of worshiping, of reading, of sharing, and even acting. God, we want to be a church that takes action. We're here to make a difference. Only two things we can't do in heaven. We can't sin, and we can't tell people about Jesus that don't already know him. So God, would you use our lives to reach people, to reach places, and to reach positions? I thank you that you strategically placed us for such a time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.